0: right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that! You don't got time for that All right, let's go! Crank it! Crank it, Let it Cross! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen.
1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320
2: KLWN. This league, hashtag this league. But not talking about the NBA. NBA draft was last night, and there were some interesting moves were made with trades and maybe a couple surprises here or there in the NBA draft. But I'm referring to the MLB trade deadline, which just came down like six minutes ago, and who knows? There still could be a couple more trades that maybe come through here that were agreed to before the three o'clock deadline, but just haven't been made public as of yet. I'm Derek Johnson with Colsey Debutar. We got a loaded show today coming up in about 35 minutes. We'll be joined by Brandon McAnderson, former K-Orange Bowl winning running back. Talk a little realignment with him coming up at 4:20. We will talk with Robert Allen, who is the sideline analyst for Oklahoma State's football team as we continue our KU football opponent season previews. And then coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we'll be joined by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, to talk about the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. But MLB trade deadline puts this show absolutely off to a bang. Last night was the biggest trade of them all. Max Scherzer, Trey Turner go to the Dodgers. It became official now today. This was absolutely crazy. And I'm seeing another trade, John Lester going to the Cardinals. Um, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going to the Dodgers is the most NBA super team thing of all time. It
0: is. And, it is. And the problem is, is that there's no salary cap in this stupid right. sport. There's no. So so if you're the L.A. team or the New York teams who aren't sorry messes like the Mets, you get to spend as much money as you want. And, you know, everyone talks about, oh, look how great the Dodgers are at developing talent. It's like, yeah, man, you can spend, you know. $30-40 uh, more on your scouting department or your player development department than anyone else can I, it, it's hard for me to be impressed it's a little upsetting to look at a season that felt pretty competitive pretty interesting for that kind of like upper 50% of teams and now uh, because I guess the Nationals felt like they needed to blow it up uh, the you know second to third best team in the league has become the first by I think a wide margin
2: yeah, and I I think that there – here's the issue. I, I have less of an issue, honestly, with what the Dodgers are doing, and it is stupid. There needs to be a salary cap because the issue is that you have the Dodgers $50 million above the second-best team, but then you have teams who are, sell, who are spending $50 million on an entire team. And so there needs to not only be a salary cap – But there needs to be a salary floor. A pretty high one, I think. Yes. It needs to be at least $100 million.
0: If I recall correctly, what I read last night was that the bottom five teams in terms of payroll have a smaller payroll than the Dodgers. So combined, they have a smaller payroll than the Dodgers do now. That's insane. And yeah, like I said, there
2: needs to be a salary cap and a salary floor. But given that we don't have a salary cap, which again, I think there should be, given that we don't. I don't really have a problem with what the Dodgers did because guess what all these owners are millionaires, billionaires. Invest in your product. And yes, maybe the Cleveland Indian owner's or Indians owner isn't worth as much money as the LA Dodgers ownership group, but he's still worth millions and millions and billions of dollars. So he could maybe he couldn't afford the 260 million, but he could probably afford 150 million dollars on his payroll. And that to a certain extent is a little bit unfortunate with this. But at the same point in time, I don't know how a different team didn't beat that offer because the Dodgers give up good players. Kybert Ruiz is a top 20 prospect in the MLB. He's a catcher, and then you give up Josiah Gray, who was a really good pitching prospect, has struggled so far in very limited sample size in the MLB, and then a couple kind of more average prospects. I'm surprised another team didn't offer more and so like there's part of me that is mad at the rest of the MLB. There's part of me that's mad at the Dodgers for making a super team because now you have your number 4 starter is Clayton Kershaw or Julio Urías who's phenomenal. Your number 8 hitter in the lineup is either Chris Taylor who's got like a 900 OPS or Cody Bellinger who won the MVP 2 years ago like I I don't know. I'm just I'm angry about that, but I was a little bit relieved today because I'm a Giants fan. That's part of where the anger comes from. They got Chris Bryant So that made me a little bit happier.
0: I think we should be more upset at the Nationals, okay? Okay. (laughs) You know that the Dodgers are trying to win, Mm -hmm. okay? You know that they're they're really going to put it all out on the line for this year and maybe next year, but really this year, you know? So people always say, well, you can't overcharge for two months of Max Scherzer. Yes, you can. He's Max Scherzer. (laughs) He's a three-time Cy Young winner. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame, okay? There's no three-time Cy Young winner who's not in the Hall of Fame. Max Scherzer is going to the Hall. So you can overcharge for a 2-month rental of your Hall of Famer. And Trey Turner he's he's you know really really good. So yeah, overcharge them. You you, you two top 100 prospects is not the expected haul. I mean there's two other mid-tier prospects after that, but two top 100 prospects is not the expected haul from a Hall of Fame pitcher and an all-star level at the most difficult defensive position in the game. It's just not what you expect. I think the Nationals sold themselves really really short for whatever reason. If you if the Dodgers really wanted to win, they were going to pay what they needed to pay for Max Scherzer. And and you should have, you know, strung them along till the last second. To get more from that.
2: Yeah. No, I 100% agree. And it's especially worse when you compare it to a trade that went down today. The Minnesota Twins gave away Jose Jose Barrios, who's under contract through next year, just as Trey Turner is in that deal. And Barrios, solid pitcher, good pitcher, but he's not a Cy Young-level pitcher. You put him in your rotation, you're happy with him as your number three. You're okay with him as your number two. He goes to the Blue Jays for Austin Martin, who was just a top-five pick in the draft in 2019. He's a top-25 prospect. And Simeon Woods Richardson, who is one of the better pitching prospects, top-100 prospect as well. The haul they got is basically equivalent to what—maybe it's a little less because you got two less prospects. But it is close to what the Dodgers had to give up instead of for a a year-and-a-half of Jose Barrios, a a year-and-a-half of Trey Turner— one of the best players, position players in the MLB, and Max Scherzer, for even just two months, one of the best pitchers in the MLB. That makes zero sense.
0: I think maybe it it depends on how this pans out for the Dodgers, and then maybe it depends on how the prospects pan out for the Nationals. But I hope that this creates sort of a realization in Major League Baseball that if winning is the most important thing, if getting that piece of metal is the most important thing at the end of the season, then yeah, charge out the nose for these rentals. If you have a future Hall of Famer on your roster, or even just like, you know, a, a guy who was an MVP a couple years ago or whatever, and you're in a contender really wants him, they think that's going to put them over the edge. You make them pay for that. If they think that winning, uh, a ring is the most important thing, then they better prove it to you. If you're like a middling team, if you're a lower tier team, I I think that that is something that the entire MLB might end up realizing depending on how this pans out.
2: Yeah, I agree. And going through some of the other trades here, um, Giants got Chris Bryant, which finished off the Cubs basically going into ultra sell mode. The Cubs gave up Chris Bryant. They gave up Anthony Rizzo the other day to the New York Yankees. Give Javier Baez today, which that one worked out really, really well for them. Um, They got Pete Crow Armstrong back from the Mets, who was like a top 12 pick in the draft in 2019, was raking, but then had a season ending, I believe it was a shoulder injury. That's a really good pickup for them. But the Cubs went all, they traded Andrew Chafin earlier this week, one of their bullpen arms. They traded Craig Kimbrell to the White Sox. They traded Ryan Tapera, another one of their bullpen arms. I don't even know who's on the Cubs anymore. I usually see like every year there's like whoever the worst MLB team is. They have those quizzes they put out. Like, can you name all 40 players on the Pirates 40-man roster? And I remember doing it last year. I got like nine of 40, right, or something. You I got nine? Like I I don't even, I, I don't know. It might have even been less than that, honestly. Um I feel like if you did that right now for me with the Cubs, I would have very
0: much trouble figuring <laughs> that out. Yeah, I I would hate I would hate to do that. I would hate that they do that for the Royals right this second. Like it, it, it the team is so unremarkable. Well, it's hard for me to keep track of people.
2: It's funny you bring that up because the Royals, there actually would be some that you would be able to get because the Royals were very non-active at the trade deadline. I think there were three big teams that weren't really active as sellers that should have been more active as sellers. Um, as far as buyers, mentioned the Dodgers. You had the, the Blue Jays making a couple additions, not just Barrios, but a couple others as well. Giants, Yankees made the trades for Rizzo, Gallo. They got Andrew Heaney from the Angels as well. You had the Phillies being pretty big buyers. They got Freddie Galvis. They got Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy, which that was crazy, giving up Spencer Howard to do so. But the seller's not selling, even the White Sox buyers getting Craig Kimbrell. The Rockies, Pirates, and Royals makes me question, what the heck were they doing? Because if we're just to start with the Rockies, you had Trevor Story, who could have netted you a good return. If you would have traded him this past offseason, he would have netted you a top-tier return because the team would have got a full year of him, and he was coming off an all-star season. This year, he's kind of having a down year. You don't trade him away. Now you're getting to a point where you're just going to lose him for a qualifying offer where, heck, he might even accept the qualifying offer the way he's playing right now, but more than likely, you'll get a second-round pick out of him. You would have got more trading him. That made no sense. Pirates, one of the worst teams in baseball right now, didn't do anything to trade away some of their pieces. Most notably, Richard Rodriguez, the reliever market, was returning some pretty good players. And again, who knows? Maybe some of these guys got traded, but it just hasn't come through yet. Richard Rodriguez was having fantastic season you could have got a lot for him and the Royals as soon as I say this a trade has now been reported Jorge Soler has been traded to the Atlanta Braves who
0: why did the Atlanta Braves want Jorge Soler because he hit five <laughs> home runs in the last week is no, that it but you know what he's I'm hitting actually, under 200
2: this is actually a big win for the Royals yeah, just to get rid of him. yeah I mean, 100% you weren't going to re-sign him in the offseason I don't know what they're going to get for. It's probably something very Why are the Atlanta
0: Braves buying players? My guess
2: is the Atlanta Braves gave up something very small, and they're saying, you know, we're still in the division race. Let's see what Acuna's can happen. injured. They're not yeah. really no, in that division I, I, race. I don't understand why they're buying, but hey, that's their prerogative. Uh, for the Royals, you got rid of Solaire. Love that. You got rid of Danny Duffy. Love that. Got rid of him to the Dodgers. But... This was my worry yesterday. They traded Danny Duffy, and I said this gives me hope that maybe they are going to move toward being a seller, which I think they should. But then this was reported last night. When the Red Sox made the trade for Anthony Rizzo, this was reported by Mark Feinsand. The Red Sox had been seeking a left-handed bat, ultimately landing on Kyle Schwarber. I'm sorry, Schwarber, not Anthony Rizzo. Boston had talked to the Royals about Carlos Santana, but Casey wasn't inclined to move the veteran switch hitter, who is signed through 2022. So just to get this straight, the Royals, who are one of the worst teams in baseball, who are a clear seller, opted not to trade their 35-year-old first baseman because he's under contract next year.
0: Have you considered that he has the same name as a uh, Hall of Fame guitarist, though? (laughs) <laughs> I think that's
2: that a good enough reason to keep it. I actually uh, met Carlos Santana at a winery when I was young and too young to be at the But no, room, we 100
0: should have sold high on Santana. He's having a great year. He's he's uh, has a really high on base percentage. And you would for get a, more
2: for him because he's under contract next year.
0: Uh, totally. And we should have sold on uh, high on uh, Merrifield. Yes. We um, the only player Stop that Marlo. to me that was off the table was Perez, and then mm-hmm. any guy under like 25 or yes. maybe under 24. No, exactly. Like, that was sort of my logic going into this, and it seems like we just. Gave away our best pitcher, and we're like, all right, that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, I that's what I
2: don't understand. And here was um, the crux of it obviously, now held on to Whit Merrifield, unless something again occurs that we weren't expecting here in the last minutes. Scott Barlow, the Scott Barlow one is very interesting because I mentioned the Craig Kimbrell trade, they got a pretty good return, the Cubs did for giving up Craig Kimbrell to the White Sox. I don't, he wouldn't have had the same market as Craig Kimbrell. But even you look at a guy like Phil Maton, who got traded from Cleveland to go to Houston. Phil Maton's worse than Scott Barlow. He has two years less of control. And Phil Maton was able to get back for Cleveland. Miles Straw, who is a solid, about average, major league center fielder. With speed and the ability to play defense and seal bases. The Royals have struggled mightily at developing outfield prospects over the course of their time. So that's, you probably could have got more than that for Scott Barlow. You could have got a good haul for Whit Merrifield. You could have got a good haul for Whit Merrifield last year, the year before that, especially with the extra control on him. Now, by the time we get to next year, if you do trade Whit Merrifield in the final year of his deal, and we've seen his stats already dip, it could get even worse next year. You're going to get even less for them. I don't understand. And I think what this is leading up to the culmination for me, David or not David Lesky, uh, Dayton Moore, the GM for the Royals, said that we are not going to make a trade unless it makes us better in 2022. Now, I understand the thinking there, theoretically, but that is the type of thinking that as a small market team who is not good right now, gets you in trouble, thinking that I can be good as soon as next year because you're not going to spend the money in free agency to do that. You need to think further ahead than that. And what that tells me is 2022 is the make make it or break it year for Dayton Moore. He is going all eggs in his basket. He is saying, at that point, we must be a contender in 2022 because otherwise, at that point, you should have traded all these guys. And the fact that you didn't, and if you're not a contender in 2022, I think that'd be his final year.
0: I mean, not getting something for Barlow is so ridiculous. You know, like, half of our prospect pipeline is, like, is like relief pitchers, right. right? You're not like, going like, to be able
2: to use all the starting pitchers, too, that you have. Yeah, uh,
0: so, so, you know, I, I, I would say the Royals have, probably too many pitchers in their prospect pipeline. I'll just throw that out there. I was looking at it the other day and I went, "Where are the position players in this in this like uh setup?" It's just way too many pitchers. We should probably try to move some of them for other different prospects. But the point is that like 50% of them are relief pitchers. So if, if we really think we can't get someone we can't have someone there who's at least as good as Scott Barlow, so we should have moved Scott Barlow for picks. Like I, I, obviously in my opinion, there's obviously someone there who's probably going to be at least as good as Scott Barlow if not better. Yep, 100% agree. And
2: like I said, this all just comes down to what the results are in 2022. If you want to play that game where you want to put all your eggs in that basket, okay, let's see what happens because I guarantee you, I don't guarantee I mean, there's a chance all these Royals young pitchers end up being really good. And maybe a Dayton Moore ends up being right. But there's also a very big chance that they're in the same situation next year.
0: And even if they're good and even if they end up being really good, In 2022, like like, are they really going to end up being really really good in 2022? Are we gonna? We have all these guys with you know 2022 ETAs. Are we when we pull them all up? Are we expecting them to like light up the league? (laughs) Like no, right? We can't possibly expect that all of these guys who are doing well enough in AAA are going to light up the league and turn us into uh, American League favorites in their first year. That's a ridiculous thing to. Believe, and if that's really his opinion, and we're not in, and we're not actually going to spend money in free agency, then I don't, I don't even know, man.
2: Yep, he's Debutar. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll let you know if any other trades kind of come through the pipeline here, specifically with the Royals here in the uh, waning minutes. So to come, I'm seeing even the occasional other trade come through for other teams. So I guess it's still possible that all those opinions get thrown out the window about Dayton Moore if they did make a trade that we're just not aware to yet brandon mcanderson former jayhawk orange bowl winning champion going to join us in about 20 minutes from right now nba draft was last night though too let's talk about that on the other side this is rock chalk sports talk get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now whether it's you know washing all the germs out you want to get obviously the germs out of your car but also you want it to look really nice go to tommy's express car wash it's wash rinse repeat with tommy's and guess what they have an app it's the tommy club app so download it i know you have a smartphone so you're going to be able to download apps you don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast i'm just assuming that and if you do more power to you but if you do then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. Brandon McAnderson joins us in about 15 minutes from right now. We also have Robert Allen at 420. And then coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. NBA draft was last night. Marcus Garrett went undrafted. Ended up signing an Exhibit 10 contract, which I was... I've heard the terminology before, but I was a little unfamiliar with what exactly was... Um it's not quite a two-way contract. Here's, here's the description of it. It's a one-year minimum salary NBA contract with a specific Exhibit 10 attachment built into it and no other bonuses. These attachments are not present in every NBA contract, only deals in which both parties have agreed to include it. Exhibit 10 attachments allow the NBA team to convert a player's one-year minimum contract into a two-way contract, but this has to occur prior to the start of the regular season. These one-year deals are often non-guaranteed, which lets NBA teams waive the player and remove their cap hit from the team payroll. Exhibit 10 attachments allow players to earn a bonus of $5,000 to $50,000 in the event that they are waived by the NBA team, then sign a deal with that franchise's G League affiliate and remain with that affiliate team for 60 days. The bonus, which does not count against the NBA salary cap, is in addition to the G League salary the player would also collect in this particular scenario. If a player's Exhibit 10 contract is converted to a two-way deal, the Exhibit 10 bonus converts to guaranteed salary. NBA teams may have no more than six players with Exhibit 10 attachments in their contracts. Essentially, this is the use of a deal that allows them to bring him on for training camp, see how he does in training camp, maybe in the the summer league. And if they like him, they can convert it to a two-way contract. If they like him but they don't love him, they can wave him, put him on the G League team, and he gets a money, a bonus, based on how I'm reading that. So that's a good thing. And uh, Brandon McAnderson is a Miami Heat fan, so maybe we'll ask him about what his thoughts with Marcus Garrett being on the Miami Heat are. The biggest move of the NBA draft last night, I guess you could argue maybe Jalen Suggs falling to number 5 as opposed to number 4, where a lot of people were expecting him to go in the Orlando Magic, maybe finally getting some draft luck, so to speak, but... I think it was actually the trade that occurred before the NBA draft. Russell Westbrook getting traded from the Washington Wizards to the Lakers for a collection of players, Montrezl Harrell, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Kyle Kuzma, and I believe a first-round pick as well in that deal. Russell Westbrook is the type of guy to me that it doesn't solve their shooting issues around their star players, and now there's probably going to be even more emphasis on that to happen, but like if you look at stats with LeBron on and off the court, whether it was LeBron off the court to just go to the bench in a specific game or whether it was LeBron off the court because he was load management or because he was injured, they went from one of the best teams with him on the court to one of the worst teams in the NBA with him off the court. And I think that's the biggest boon in this trade with Russell Westbrook going there, that he is going to help them so much in the games where Anthony Davis and LeBron are taking load management games off or they're on the bench and they need somebody to carry the team, that he's going to help them stay in one of those top two seeds.
0: What you're about to hear from me right now is not a sports radio hot take. This is my full opinion that that comes directly from my heart. Russell Westbrook is a top 10 point guard of all time. And right this second, he's a top 20 player in the NBA. This makes the Lakers an enormous title favorite. I think that their ball movement becomes insane with two passers on the level of LeBron and Westbrook on the same team. Is their salary cap, are they like super over the salary cap and they're going to be paying a ton in luxury tax? Yes, of course. That's 100% what's going to happen. But the fact is if they want to ring, these are the kind of moves that you have to make. You have to trade For uh, Hall of Fame point guards, if you think your current team can't cut it. Uh, Yes, would it have been better if they got Kyle Lowry? Would he be like a slightly better fit? Probably. But Kyle Lowry's not a top 10 point guard of all time.
2: I think that at this point, if the Lakers just add a couple shooters around, I mean, Duncan Robinson is a free agent. I don't know if the Miami Heat are going to let him go, and I believe he's a restricted free agent. He is, yeah. So there's a chance this isn't even possible. But could you imagine if you filled out that lineup with, like, a Duncan Robinson just to give you a floor spacer? Be awesome.
0: I mean – You know what Joe Harris's contract is like right now?
2: That's the other thing. I don't know. He might be a free agent as well. But either way, if you fill that roster with shooters, it looks like – I feel like we're headed right back to where we were expected to be this year before injuries took part, which is super teams run the NBA. We're just going to have a Lakers-Nets final.
0: Oh, uh, Joe Harris is not going to be a free agent until 2024, by the way, Mm. just for clarity. But, yeah, I mean, I think the Lakers are the favorites. Some people are like, oh, I don't know how that team deals with the Nets. I know how that team deals with the Nets by having Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Like, I (laughs) I mean, obviously James Harden and uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie are fantastic. But I think that because of some recency bias, some injuries and stuff, we're underselling the fact that we're talking about a top two player of all time in LeBron James, uh, meeting up with some really, really solid players in the current NBA. Uh Anthony Davis is a top 2 big man right now. Uh it's just him and Joel Embiid uh in terms of what you're looking for. You got Jokic there too, so top 3. Top 3 big man right now. And then uh Russell Westbrook who is, you know, better than Dennis Schroeder for sure. Uh Yeah, he's going to have some shooting problems, but I think that you can definitely address those in free agency as long as you're willing to spend the money on the part of the Lakers, and the Lakers have never been shy from about spending money. No, definitely not.
2: So that was the biggest trade. I mean, there were some other trades. As far as the draft itself, Pistons ended up sticking with the Cade Cunningham pick at number 1. Jalen Green goes to Houston at number 2. I feel like he's just going to average 20 a game when you look at their roster being a little more bare and that being kind of his M.O., Um, Evan Mobley goes three. Don't necessarily love the fit of just being in Cleveland in general, but also having Jared Allen there. I don't know, are they going to play together? Is that going to work? Are you going to give him less minutes because you have Jared? I I don't know. Don't love that, but I still love Evan Mobley. Um, I wonder now, too, with the big surprise being that Scotty Barnes went four instead of Jalen Suggs, I wonder if that means the Raptors are ready to trade away a guy like Pascal Siakam. 100%. -hmm.
0: I I think they're 100%. Uh, sitting down, taking a look at themselves and going, we are not going to succeed in the next two years. So what do you do? Well, you probably should have sold high on Pascal last year, but they didn't. That's a mistake, and they're going to have to bite that bullet, probably try to move him this year. Maybe they'll feed him a little bit more this year early in the offense, see if they can get him up to that sort of 24 points per game kind of guy, and then try to move him at the deadline. That's my guess for how the Raptors are handling Siakam.
2: Yeah, and who knows? Maybe that's another guy that ends up on the Lakers or something. No, I don't think they'd have anything else to give up at this point in time. Um, Orlando finally getting lucky with Jalen Suggs. Were there any other sleeper picks in the draft that you like that stuck out to you? I was I was talking about this yesterday. On average, every year there's only 20 guys in the NBA draft. Or in each draft class, not just of the 60 guys you could take in the undrafted guys as well. There's only 20 guys on average who end up sticking in the NBA and having roles. And that doesn't mean they're starters, but at least being role players or bench players to some point. And I think there is a bit of, uh, you can do kind of a good service if you just go through and figure out what guys you think would fit a role you could go to the second round and maybe say that, yeah, this player might be worse than that guy in the first round, but he might fit a role better. Is there anybody that sticks out to you?
0: So I think the mm, weirdest thing for the draft and the draft for me was the fact that, uh, is it Sengun? Is it Sangoon? Yeah, yeah. He fell to 16. He was projected to be like top 10 by most people. Some people had him like literally top seven, top eight. And he fell all the way to 16, got picked by OKC on behalf of the Rockets, because that was the pick that OKC traded. And that loops us around to the next thing, which is OKC just generated way too many first round draft picks that they'll have no idea what to do with in a couple of years. Obviously, they're probably going to stock him up to try to trade for some big player. But yeah, that's the big surprise to me Sengun Sengun fall, falling all the way to 16. And then he seems like a guy who if he fell to 16, OKC would like You know, he's 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 a bit more of a project, those international guys, you know, uh, who their skills are a little bit hazier. But he's he's a really solid athletic kind of uh, specimen that you would you you think that someone uh, like Presti and OKC would like because they have guys like uh, Lou Dort there that, you know, kind of fit that a similar mold. Mm -hmm. I think
2: for me, I'd look at like second round, like what role are you going to play in the NBA? You know, if you're a star player in college. You're not going to be getting all the shots. You're not going to be handling the ball necessarily once you get to the pros, especially if you're a late first, second-round pick. Jericho Sims, one guy who goes late 40s to, I believe, the New York Knicks. He's a guy who he is so good defensively. He is a switchable big man. He's not very good on offense, but he's a rim runner. That's going to be a guy who he's not going to be a star or anything. He'll be a backup big in the league for 10 years. Um, Isaiah Livers from Michigan, six foot seven wing, who's a good defender, who hits threes, contested, and open. That's a role in the NBA. He might not be the best player, but he's going to be in the NBA for 10 years. Those are the guys that I think make sense. And maybe that's a good thing for Marcus Garrett because he is a guy who can maybe fill a role. All right. Brandon McAnderson is going to join us in about five minutes real quick. Do want to apologize to the Pirates. Said they were a loser for not selling. Uh, Richard Rodriguez did get traded. The trade came out afterwards about half hour after the deadline. They traded him to the Braves and also the return for Jorge Soler is right-handed pitching prospect Casey Kalich. So the Braves continue to be buyers for whatever reason. Good on the pa- the Pirates for dishing away the closer and good on the Royals for getting rid of Jorge Soler and getting Casey Kalich who was a fourth-round pick as soon as 2019 he has a 3.26 ERA in 20 appearances in high A ball. They actually seem to get actually a pretty good prospect, not just a throwaway for Jorge Soler. That's a big win for the Royals. FM1017 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. BMAC on the other side. Welcome back in. Rock Chalk Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Joined now here by Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network team, the sideline analyst for KU football. BMAC also a former member of the Big 12. Have you thought about it all that in 20, 30, 40 years, you could be having to explain to your grandchildren that there was a conference called the Big 12?
3: Yeah. You know what? It could be uh, one of those things where, like, it was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> you know, it really it really would be not quite, but uh, it, it's been awesome. And, you know, the transition from the Big 8 to the Big 12 felt like it felt expansive. It felt like our world got bigger. Um, and this might not have the same effect. Uh, but it's kind of fun to follow to see what's going to happen.
2: Yeah, and right now, I mean, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen just with so many moving parts. I mean, people can have ideas or uh, maybe have theories about what's going to go on. But if KU were to land in another league, is there one that you would be most rooting for that you think would be the coolest fit?
3: For selfish reasons, I would say the Big Ten. I just think they have some awesome stadiums to be a sideline reporter in you know, to go to the Big House and to uh, go to Ohio State and Columbus and check them out, but also for, I think it's a conference that's a good regional fit, obviously, and I think it's a good fit for uh, basketball, being that that's been one of the primary, you know, it's been neck and neck with the Big 12 as one of the best-performing conferences, Uh, so it'd be interesting to add, you know, a Bill Self and an established basketball program. And then on the football side, something that people just don't talk about because, it it looks so different, but Big 12 football is hard. <laughs> you know, you go into every year hoping for one bad team that you maybe have a chance to beat, and rarely do you get it, uh, as opposed to the Big 10 where there is two or three, four consistent teams at the bottom. Uh, so I think that kind of would benefit the football program and give them a chance to, to kind of be more competitive and competent.
2: Yeah, I think that could definitely help because you think of, obviously, years where Illinois or Rutgers or something is down. And usually the next worst team in the Big 12, if it's like Texas Tech or Baylor, like those teams are going to bowl games seemingly every other year or two out of three years. So that path does get more interesting. I I agree with you on the Big 10. There is a part of me, though, that would be like, oh, Pac-12 might be kind of cool just to get to go out to some trips. You know, you can never do wrong with getting to go out to L.A. when it's the middle of December and it's freezing in Kansas.
3: Absolutely, and I'm a West Coast guy anyway. My wife's from L.A., so it's a place that I like to go. I think ultimately, I think I would like to see the Pac-12 make a move. I think they're the one group that has a lot of room to grow and a lot of opportunity I mean, I would like to see him absorb all these teams and kind of make it like a whole, you know, Western Athletic League or something like that. I think it would be super fun, and there'd be tons of teams, and you really wouldn't have to play anyone else. And you could kind of consolidate your power in some cool ways.
2: Do you think if Nebraska, Texas A&M, Missouri, and Colorado, if they would have never left the Big 12 a decade ago, do you think the Big 12 would actually be fine to weather this storm of Oklahoma and Texas leaving right now?
3: I don't know, because I don't know why this is happening in the first place. The Big 12 thinks that the American is trying to pick them off, which is such a strange subplot to even think about. You know, like the American is working behind the scenes to destroy the Big 12. It's so funny. It's funny to say, honestly. Um, So I don't know what that was. I don't know why Texas and OU are even going to the SEC. I don't know what that is. I I haven't understood any of it. I understand, like if there was like some bigger consolidation between the sec and let's say the acc that would make sense to me but the sec expanding to get more buying power you know by adding two of the more watch teams i kind of get it but i really don't i mean i know it's a money play but where's the money going and what's the money for that's the part that is confusing to me
2: yeah this whole thing just Seems very interesting, too, when you add on the aspect of ESPN kind of uh, seemingly, I don't know, the puppeteer behind the scenes, so to speak. And I, I talked about this yesterday. I mean, at one hand, ESPN is kind of the bad guy in all this in that they are kind of steering the direction here. But at the same point in time, it probably behooves Kansas still not to do anything, you know, against ESPN, come out in heavy support of what Bob Bowlesby and the Big 12 are doing against ESPN, just because you don't want ESPN holding a grudge against you. What if ESPN could help you get into the Big 10? Or what if ESPN would help you get into another conference that would kind of get you off the sinking ship, so to speak, of the Big 12?
3: Yet another aspect of this that I don't understand. The biggest loser, if all of this falls apart, is ESPN. So I don't understand why ESPN will be trying to sabotage their own product, especially when they're so heavily invested. And they're heavily invested in an industry that's changing by the day, you know, with streaming services and people moving away from cable and viewership models not being as relevant as they once were. I think they are the ones at the biggest risk because they're buying up all these products with no guarantee that they're going to make their money back. I think they're they're the people taking the risk. I don't understand why they would be – you know, proposing an end game when they're the ones spending the money. So I, I don't understand any of it. And that's the part that I don't understand even – that's the part that I understand even less, is why ESPN would be seen as, you know, this shrewd dealer when they're the ones that are actually shelling out the money.
2: It's wild to think that 40 years ago, which isn't really that long of a time. I mean, they were just a startup company that – was talking about sports and now this is where we are, where they are basically controlling the college landscape. It's it's absolutely incredible to me as far as from like a, a player standpoint, and I guess even a coaching standpoint, is this a distraction at all?
3: I would say no. It's almost so, it's so big picture that I can't imagine, you know, you're talking about, you know, recruiting class that just got on, on campus that class would have to be fifth year seniors for them to have any effect. Um from a recruiting standpoint, I haven't seen that the I haven't seen any confirmation that uh what conference you play in has an impact on recruits. You know, I think it's more surface level stuff like liking the team, liking the players, liking the role that they envision for you. You know, because national, national exposure was a thing when I was in school because not every game was national televised. So that's not a thing anymore. So I don't know why that would be an impact thing for a recruit, you know, considering that the, the top teams are all playing on level playing field.
2: We're talking with Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I do want to switch over a little bit to the NBA draft here. Marcus Garrett, I don't know if you saw this. But signed an Exhibit Ten contract with your Miami Heat. So, what are your thoughts on uh, Miami getting Marcus Garrett?
3: I absolutely love the fit because Miami is so long-term invested in their prospects that you know every every year through injuries, through rotations, through trades, uh, even this year through COVID, Miami Heat players pop up in the rotation and they get a real opportunity to prove their worth. So it is a real infrastructure place, a real – it's a benefit for people like Marcus Garrett, people that are smart, people that are invested, people that are are more than willing to do the work. It's the kind of place that they flourish. KZ Akpala was a long-term project. He just started to get some run. Gabe Vincent, uh, Duncan Robinson. Um, they had the guy from uh, South Carolina, the big man, uh, who was undrafted, who made the rotation and got a contract this year. Um so that's something that just keeps happening so if you're a young player who is and i mean Marcus Garrett already has an nba an, an nba uh skill set just a high level defender you saw him completely erase you know three or four top 10 picks in this draft so he's got a skill set that translates really well and he's in a program that'll give him the time to develop the weaker portions of his game which is shot making and if you listen to nba Uh, NBA people that project development, one of the big things they look at for shooting is free throw percentage, and you saw Marcus Garrett make a big jump up into the 80s. So he projects as a good shooter. He's already a lockdown defender and a good secondary playmaker. So I like like his skill set to be a rotation player, and I like his chances in a program that has long-term development options.
2: Overall, with the NBA draft last night, do you have any any thoughts or takes that you're ready to fire off after what you saw last night, any players that you're very interested on?
3: I would say, first and foremost, ESPN, you know, spending all this money, getting all these rights, they're having these terrible telecasts. Last night, when Kendrick Perkins was trying to pronounce uh, Moses Moody, was an all-time classic. He just could not say the man's name. Uh, it was beautiful to watch. He really struggled. That was probably my favorite part. Um, but in terms of the players themselves, I thought that the, it was nice to see the Orlando Magic get lucky for once. I mean, I could not bear them taking in another project wing that never worked out. You know, instead they get a, uh, a point guard that's a big-time leader and playmaker, and I think he's going to really help their program. And then getting Wagner, who's just an all-around stud who's really young, who can play without the ball who's a lockdown defender right now great length and only 18 years old i mean the magic are just not known for making these kind of picks it's nice to see them kind of start to make some moves to get out of the cellar
2: yeah my my biggest take and i've shared this with a couple people on the show is i feel like we're overthinking evan mobley in the idea that like the center position is kind of devalued in the NBA a little bit unless you're that Bam Adebayo, DeAndre Ayton, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid. Like, if you're a superstar, it's great. Otherwise, it's like kind of how the NFL is looking toward running backs where it's like, well, why would you take him in the first and you can get him in the third? That kind of ilk. I feel like we're going there. And I don't know if that's the reason why or if it's just because this is such a great draft class in terms of, like, the top four or five players or whatever. But I feel like we're overthinking the idea that you have this big man who is seven feet tall with a seven-four wingspan. He can dribble the ball. He can shoot. He's athletic. He can block shots. Like, why would that not play? Or if he's the next Anthony Davis, like, how would that not be the first pick in the draft?
3: Yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I, I like the running back comparison. That's kind of the one that I've used. I think the difference is is that the the upside of those guys is so unique. That it, it, it pays more dividends than what you would get from a running back in terms of this guy could change everything and really be the difference in winning a series. You look at a team like the Suns who make the to make the NBA Finals with the healthy Anthony Davis, they look dead in the water. They look finished, and and without him, you know, they were back to being a real championship contender when they didn't have to go through him. So you you wonder about that with Mobley, but I don't think that this is about overthinking as much as. They liked the players that were there, and this is a draft that had three true number ones, and you don't usually get that. You usually get one or two. You don't get threes, and they had th- true, three true guys, and I think that's what the difference was.
2: I'm going to have Brian Haney on a little bit later in the show, talk about the Rock Shock Roundball Classic. You're still in this year, right?
3: Yeah, they keep asking me to come back. I'm
2: not sure why. Well, I heard that you're not going to be the only football. I mean, usually they have other football players as well. Like Desmond Briscoe's played in the past. I think Kerry Meyer in the past. I I heard that Todd Reesing is going to be a part of this year's edition. Are you guys going to have any uh, crazy connection? Can can we at least bet on you to be the best basketball-playing football player? So
3: I'm a better basketball player than Todd. I'm just not as brazen. I mean, that guy is, a, is as brave and as fearless as anybody you'll ever see. He's a super fun guy. I know he played in it once, and he did like a spin layup. I'm out here just trying to make it three every <laughs> once in a while. So I think he's uh, the thing that made him special as a football player makes him special everywhere he goes, he's just a unique person, and uh, he's always committed to the show, man. So he's going to come out there and do his best. I'm going to come out there and try to get out of the way. So That's the, that's the biggest difference.
2: I think one year you should do the try-hard move where everybody's expecting you to do just that, to be the, you know, I'll I'll go in the corner and find the open three. I'll, you know, hustle a little bit, maybe try to get a rebound. But do the try-hard move and all of a sudden, if if you just got one steal from uh, when they're not expecting it from like a Devontae Graham, Ben McElmore, I mean, that's a career highlight.
3: It absolutely is. See, the one thing that I I am super cognizant of is with these guys that are still active i still i want to stay as far away from them as possible <laughs> you get me matched up with an older guy i might take you up on the offer and see what i can do uh but these young guys man who knows how my body will react i'll try to steal it and fall into them and you know knock them <laughs> down They're like, God, get him out of here um, so i don't want to do any of that stuff but uh, I, it's always super fun and it's for the for the best cause uh imaginable so i'm super excited about that i got a boys and girls club uh charity event where I'll be stepping into the diamond for the first time. Mm. I'm like the ultimate, the ultimate celebrity athlete who actually does nothing. So I, I appreciate everybody including me in all these awesome events.
2: He's Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, former member of the Big 12, and part of the Jayhawk Radio Network. BMAC, thanks so much for your time as always, and uh, have a good weekend, man. Alright, thanks for having me, bro. Alright, there's was Brandon McAnderson joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. I'm Derek Johnson with Colesita Butar. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. We continue on now with another KU football opponent season preview. We've gone through Oklahoma, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Baylor. We've gone through the three non-conference games. The next opponent on the ledger is Oklahoma State. We're joined now on the phone by Robert Allen. He is the sideline reporter for the Oklahoma State Cowboys radio team Robert thank you so much for joining us today before we get into the preview uh, it's kind of worked out for me as I've been doing these previews with everything that's gone on from the realignment perspective so just kind of checking in down south in Stillwater what's kind of the word for the Oklahoma State side of things from uh, everything going on with Texas and Oklahoma leaving for the SEC
4: well obviously it, it's uh, you know things has been shaken up pretty good uh, and, you know, I think Oklahoma state's probably like any of the other eight schools. Uh, I know in talking to, uh, sources that are close to Dr. Shrum, uh, who is the brand new president who, who I got to admit, uh, a lot of people would say, "Oh, wow, this is tough for a brand new president and a brand new AD at the same time. But, you know, Chad Weiberg's uncle is, uh, Kevin Weiberg, the former big 12 commissioner that, has been a deputy commissioner in the big 10, a deputy commissioner in the PAC 12. He's worked for the college football playoff. He's worked for the NCAA division one basketball tournament. He's now part of a consulting firm, uh, college sports solutions. So Oklahoma state's got a huge assist in Kevin Weiberg and, and really someone who can communicate with all of the other power five leagues out there. And I think they've used Kevin quite a bit, um, Dr. Shrum is, is really sharp. Uh, in fact, I think she's probably become the alpha in the room since Joe Harris and, and, uh, Hartzell, the president of Texas, uh, are no longer doing doing much politically in, in the big 12. Um, I think Oklahoma state's willing to, to ride for a little bit, but I think at the same time, they're looking out for themselves. They're in conversation with the other conferences and, and, uh, if something came along that, um, you know, was, was really attractive. I think it would be really hard for Oklahoma State, just like it would any of the schools, to to pass that up. You know, you, you're looking at your your school's athletic future, and, um, you know, none of these schools can afford to drop into group of five. So it, it's a dog-eat-dog dog situation.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and definitely going to keep monitoring that as things go on. As far as this year, KU Oklahoma State, obviously not as big of a deal from uh, the Cowboys' spectrum, this is probably the game they look at and go, well, this is when we can get things right. But as far as the team, is there a QB competition at all with Spencer Sanders, given that he had maybe some up-and-down moments last year and some injuries and having Illingworth come on, or is this Sanders being the clear-cut guy?
4: No, I think Spencer is the um, – let's not say clear. Let's just say he's the cut guy. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know let's drop the clear uh but no look at the last part of the season he had a spectacular game and and really ripped up a, a Baylor defense that you know let's be honest was was struggling but then came back in the bowl game against Miami and Florida very good very athletic defense with uh even without the two edge rushers that that went in the league they were still talented there and and the secondary was really talented and Uh, Spencer was the uh, MVP in the game and and carved them up pretty good. Um, Had a tremendous spring uh, with Tim Rattay, the quarterback coach. And Tim came on just before the the COVID uh, pandemic hit. And so they had three days of spring practice. And this was the first full spring for Spencer with Rattay. And and I think the former NFL quarterback has, has done a good job and in working with Spencer and and, and really eliminating some of his, his flaws. Same time, he's worked well with uh, with Shane Illingworth. And Illingworth is good. He played as a true freshman. He was 3-0. 2-0, I guess, as a starter. But 3-0 because he came in at the end of the Tulsa game and rescued that. Um, and so Spencer knows that, that if he doesn't play well, there's an option behind him. Uh so I I would that's why I dropped the clear. I think Spencer's obviously number one, and he's number one as long as he deserves to be number one. If he if he falters, if he turns the ball over, because that's been really his biggest problem, uh the coaches won't hesitate. They'll give Shane Illingworth a chance.
2: We're talking with Robert Allen here. Chubba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace are gone from the team. But I feel like no matter what you go down each and every year, whether it's James Blackman or Des Bryant or James Washington, there is always that one stud All American wide receiver in Oklahoma State, and there's always just a productive running back, whether you go back to Justice Hill, Chubba Hubbard, and so forth. So, who are kind of the candidates for Oklahoma State at the skill positions this year? Which one do you want first? <laughs> Who do you think uh just go for both? Receiver running I back. I think I I'm going to start with running
4: backs guys because I think I think Mike Gundy and Casey Dunn, the offensive coordinator I think they're going to get back to running the football more. Um you know that's always been kind of Mike Gundy's bread and butter even though he's operated primarily since he gave over the offensive coordinator duties uh, I think the first guy he gave him over to was uh was uh Dana uh, uh Holderson. but um, he wants to run the football. They've got four running backs. Uh, LD Brown, who rushed for over 100 yards against West Virginia, had a big game, uh, was the number two guy behind Chuba going into the season. and really became the number one guy when Chuba was, was ineffective and was kind of injured last year. Desmond Jackson came in, rushed for 230 yards and three touchdowns against Texas Tech. Uh, had a good good couple of game run. Uh, went over 100 against TCU as well. Uh, then you've got a freshman in um, uh, Richardson, that Dominic Richardson, that went over 100 against Baylor. Uh, and then you've got a transfer, Jalen Warren from Utah State, who tore it up in the spring game. And I was I was at a summer workout the other day, and and Jalen Warren is about five ten, about 220 pounds. He dropped a four five in the 40 when he tested, when he showed up. And, um, I would not want to put myself in front of him. I, I, I think, I think if, uh, if I was told, Hey, you gotta get in front of him and tackle him. I got to say, Hey, let's check for volunteers. Cause I don't think I want to do that. Um, so, and Mike Gundy has talked about having a four headed running back and, and, not having guys have to have 25, 30 carries, but splitting the carries up, you know, 10, 10, 10, 8, you know, uh, something along those lines. So, they feel really comfortable with all four running backs. At wide receiver, it's a little different. Tay Martin had come in last year from Washington State where he had been, I think, a second maybe or third team all-pack 12 receiver and really wasn't in that good of shape. Um, in fact, I'll tell you a little story before the start of off season after the bowl game, you know, when they got down there and they, and and Mike Gundy and the strength coach Rob glass had said, well, look, we're COVID we're, we're going to say COVID's over. We're going back to the old school ways of doing things. And, um, Tay Martin went upstairs to the coach's office and said, coach, I ain't doing this. This is, this is crazy. And he said, okay, uh, that's fine. Uh, they'll have a box of your stuff down there, and you can pick up outside the locker room. That's that's great. And Tay goes, what do you mean, Coach? He goes, I, I mean, if you're not going to do it, you're not going to play here. Well, Tay stayed, invested, and uh, he does. He looks sensational. You've got Brennan Presley, the slot receiver that was kind of the hero of the bowl game. Uh, I think he had I think he had two, two – no, he had three touchdowns against Miami. He's electric. He's not very big, uh, but he's, he's just got all the moves. He's got speed, and he'll also be involved in kick and punt returns this year. Uh, then you've got some veteran guys, Braden Johnson. You've got a forced recruit that's been hurt that never has popped on the radar in and Langston Anderson. And then the guys that really are intriguing are the, the freshmen. They came in, and uh, Jaden Bray caught two touchdown passes in the spring game. John Paul Richardson is the um, son of Bucky Richardson, the former A&M Houston Oilers quarterback. That He's a slot receiver that's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. And then uh, you got the two twins that were four-stars, uh, the Green brothers from Allen, Texas. So uh, a lot of guys, a lot of candidates, and that's going to be where I think we're going to kind of sit back and watch and see who comes to the surface.
2: And then on the other end of the ball, that was the strength last year, which... It's been kind of weird as I've been going through these team previews that you have a lot more teams whose strength of the team a year ago was their defenses. I don't know what the case will be this year, but Trace Ford kind of leading that D-line if he's back from his injury and Colby Harvell-Peel leading the secondary, a defense that ranked top 15 in defensive efficiency a year ago. How good of a unit can they be headed into 2021?
4: Well, Jim Knowles said as as, as each guy – came up and publicly said he was coming back, he started sleeping better every night. And uh, I would say he, he sleeps like Rip Van Winkle now. Um, no, he uh, – they're really good. Malcolm Rodriguez, the linebacker, is the guy I think kind of is the hub. Um, he's started for three years and played a lot as a true freshman. And, and now he's going to uh, – This'll just be his fifth year, but he never redshirted. So you've got that kind of experience there. And Devin Harper is another super senior that'll play next to him at linebacker that hasn't started much, but he's been here and, and been a key backup during all that time. All the guys in the secondary return. Um, Rodarius Williams was hurt at the end of the year, so Christian Holmes started the last two games. And uh, he's the only one that's just a part-time starter. The other guys, you mentioned Harvell, P- Trey Sterling, who I thought was the best of the safeties, and then also uh, uh, the guy they call the Strike. He's a, a combo corner safety that typically takes another team's best, third best receiver in man coverage, um, in uh, Tanner McAllister. So, um, and on the defensive front, you mentioned Trace Ford, but all those guys are back. All the starters are back, and Tyler Lacey, the other defensive end, Israel Antwine, and Brandon Evers, are the other two defensive tackle starters, and they had a guy that played as a true freshman two years ago, Jaden Jernigan, also out of Allen, Texas, which is a kind of a high school powerhouse down there. He missed all of last year with COVID heart effects. His heart was never, uh, never, they never felt good enough about putting him back on the field, but He's come back all the way and is healthy there, you know, and and so he's back. So, yeah, they've they've got a lot of players on defense, and and Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator, is he's is really pumped.
2: Oklahoma State's won eleven straight in this series with Kansas. It was forty-seven-seven last year, and Kansas was out yarded by four hundred yards in the game. So, I'm not going to ask you specifically, like I've been doing with some of the other interviews, about. What do you remember? what stuck out to you about the game a season ago, but what are your thoughts just from the outside looking in? because I am always curious to hear uh, other programs from other areas their thought about the hiring that Kansas made for Lance Leipold.
4: Well, I mean, Lance Leipold has proven himself whether it was uh, you know at, at the Division three level or, or coming through the the Mac he's He's had good teams, obviously, and I think he's a good football coach, thinking he obviously knows what he's doing. Um I was really sad to see everything that happened to Les Miles. Obviously Les had been at Oklahoma State and and was the head coach when Mike Gundy was the offensive coordinator. And um other than lying to me about going to LSU, saying he was staying at OSU, I, I've always had a good relationship with, with Les. So I, I hated to see all that go down. Uh but no, I, I yeah, I've always respected Kansas and guys if you look at it, I know you talked about last year's game, but you can go back and and during this period of time where Kansas has struggled, they've had some games with Oklahoma State that have been competitive. I mean, I remember a rain delayed game in Lawrence that that uh, you know Oklahoma State had to had to really bust it out in the fourth quarter to, to come up with a win. And Kansas has come in and played well at, at Boone Pickens Stadium. So um, I don't know that it's going to be hard to get Oklahoma State to fall asleep on Kansas because. All of these coaches have been around for those games, and they realize, especially with a new coach, and Coach Leipold, that uh, Kansas, you know, Kansas is going to get better and probably get better fairly quickly. I'll tell you another thing too. I've got a kid on the Kansas team that uh, is is like, you know, like a nephew, Jackson Satterwhite. His dad played at Oklahoma State. Stacy Satterwhite was an All Big Eight defensive lineman and went on and played in the NFL some and. Um, you know Jackson was up there in Miami, Oklahoma, when my son was the head coach up at NEO, and so we saw the Whites a lot, and I watched Jackson grow up, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, he'll grow up into a big, big, bad, mean offensive tackle for the Jayhawks.
2: Yeah, they could definitely use it, and man, the one that sticks out the most in that series is, uh, I just remember it was the Tyreek Hill game where he returned the kick for the touchdown, I think it was like 24-17 or something like that in that game. That was Kind of the one that maybe they had the best chance of all of them to win of recent memory. He is Robert Allen. He is the sideline reporter for the Oklahoma State radio team on the football side. Robert, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a good weekend and uh, maybe catch up with you down the road when uh, the two teams are getting ready to square off. All right, guys. Thanks. All right. Thanks again. That's Robert Allen, the sideline reporter for the Oklahoma State Cowboys, joining us here on Rock Truck Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320, KLWN, depending on it. The Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic is a week from yesterday. And, of course, as always, you'll be able to hear it right here on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Again, next Thursday, 7 o'clock, we'll be doing a live show out there from 3 to 6. And a lot of live shows next week. We'll be doing one from Jefferson's next Wednesday from 3 to 6. And we'll be doing one on Friday as well at Wayne and Larry's for the Rock Chalk Round Bowl Classic portion of things so Brian why don't you just go ahead and and I guess for the people who maybe wanted to help out or or come out to some of those different events can you just run down the schedule for people listening
1: yeah Derek we're fired up about the return of the 13th annual Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic yeah certainly had fun last year with the virtual three-point contest but to be back and in person with fans and everybody descending back upon Lawrence for three or four days is a whole lot of fun. And so uh, to have these guys back means the world. We've got five current NBA Jayhawks coming back in the Morris Twins, Markeith and Marcus. you got a Laker and a Clipper there, Ben McLemore, Laker. you got Speed from the Oklahoma City Thunder, Devontae from the Charlotte Hornets. And we'll get into the rest of the rosters here in just a bit. But to have that kind of star power coming back should make for a really special atmosphere at Free State High on Thursday at seven o'clock. And, you know, obviously when you have to still take into account all the health and safety measures that we are in light of where we're at with the pandemic, it's not going to be quite the same atmosphere. We're going to sit fans as of today, every other row, and, of course, everybody's masking up regardless of your vaccination status. To be indoors right now, you got to mask up in events like these. And so, it's about protecting each other and our beneficiary kiddos and the players, too. So, much like an NBA game, the players aren't actively playing. They'll be masked up on the bench. So, we all have to abide by that. But 5.30 uh, is when the doors open, 7 o'clock is so when we'll start with the starting lineups with Hank Booth on the public address. And uh, then somewhere around 7.15 we'll tip it off. But Honestly, in what we kind of expected to be a little bit of a down year when I first came in studio and talked with you about five weeks ago with Matt Tate in there, and we said, you know. It's not going to be the 50-plus the former players coming back with quite the star power we're accustomed to having, but we're still going to have a good group. That's when we knew about Devontae and Steve and we had a lot of maybes at that juncture. It's, it's amazing, though, the momentum that this thing picks up once a few other guys get on board, and word gets out that everybody's coming back to Lawrence for a weekend, and suddenly you got all these guys from the uh, Morris Twins era, like Marcus and Marquise and, and Mario Little, and... Whole bunch of, of those guys that were really tied, Elijah Tyshawn, you know, back in the day. And so uh, it'll be great to see that era of Bill Self's tenure really well represented. And then some earlier guys from the Self tenure, uh, like the 08 National Championship team with Russell Robinson. We had Darnell Jackson lined up, but he's had a, a big three commitment come up, and he's our first big name to drop out. But that happens every year. That's why we invite so many guys. And certainly we've picked up more in the last few days uh, than we've certainly lost. But uh, so Thursday is going to be a lot of fun. We won't have post-game autographs. We've been letting folks know about that early on just because of the pandemic. But I know that will still be a disappointment and a surprise to some that show up because that's always such a great interactive portion of our game each year. Because of that, we'll still have some cool items that we'll raffle off to get – You some souvenirs and and memorabilia there. We always have the autographed jersey raffle, but we'll have a few other opportunities as well for fans that typically really savor those autograph chances. And then on Friday, we'll have our uh, first-ever round bowl classic, as you mentioned, 30 lanes of Jayhawk celebrities at Royal Crest Lanes and Wayne and Larry's. That one's presented by Johnny's Tavern. They're going to be catering all the food and, and they've given us a very generous donation to be our presenting sponsor of the Round Bowl Classic. But I also want to thank uh, the folks at Royal Crest and Wayne and Larry's because they donated the facilities absolutely free, donated the bowling absolutely free. I mean, it's, it's incredible what they've done for us. We are so, so grateful. So, uh, that's going to be a, a unique deal. And I think when you're doing events in August, Uh, as hot as it can be uh, to have a chance to be indoors in the AC and, uh, you know, relax for an evening. It'll be kind of fun. And then, uh, you know, after the bowling from six to eight, those that sign up for the VIP experience, they get an extra hour of kind of a cocktail hour mixer for the uh, VIP donors in the back of Wayne and Larry's. They've got a really cool private room back there. And so we'll have all those, those Jayhawk stars that are able to be a part of the Friday event back there as well. But uh, it's going to be a fun couple of days to raise money for these three local kids battling pediatric cancer and obviously, we also benefit Baby J's Legacy of Hope, who's a local pediatric cancer organization. They'll spread their portion of the money around over the course of a couple dozen other kids. So we'll have a chance to, to greatly impact the lives of a lot of folks across the state that are fighting this dreadful disease. But then I just want to throw a quick shout out you know, our friends at the Boys and Girls Club of Lawrence, uh, Alyssa Bornoff, and everybody over there. They've been great friends philanthropically, charitably over the years, and uh, You know, they were asking us with all these guys in town, could we invite some of them to come out to their uh, celebrity softball game on Saturday, and guess what? Devontae and Spie said, sure, we'll come out, because that's just the kind of guys those two are. Now, they're not softball players necessarily, but uh, they are obviously very talented and gifted and instinctive athletes in general. So maybe they haven't turned a lot of 6-4-3 double plays in their day, but I think they know enough. To be honorary celebrity coaches. So that'll be going on at noon there at Rock Chalk Park on Saturday. And that benefits the Boys and Girls Clubs of Lawrence. And again, big shout out to Alyssa, who's done a fabulous job coordinating that. And I toss that in today because the normally round ball is three days, three events. We couldn't do as many this year with the pandemic and did as much as we could. But it's neat that we can kind of piggyback on and, and raise more money for local kids. First two days, it's about pediatric cancer fighting kids. Last days about our Boys and Girls Club kids, but I think that's going to be a lot of fun to have those guys adding some star power to it already impressive uh, celebrity all-star game roster that Alyssa had put together. So look forward to all three days of events, and if you can't be a part of um, you know one early in the week, then take advantage of one later in the week or vice versa. But we do still have some tickets available for sale at the 23rd Street Brewery for the Round Ball Classic. You can also buy tickets if you're listening in Lawrence or Topeka at uh, our Johnny's locations. I'm sorry, in uh, Topeka, you can do it at Johnny's there on Fairland Road in Olathe on Ridgeview, K10 in Ridgeview. You can buy tickets there at Johnny's. The only Lawrence ticket location is 23rd Street Brewery, to be clear. But we're going to sell out on this thing pretty quickly. We can only have, as I said, half capacity because of the pandemic, so... Get your tickets while you still can at the brewery there in Lawrence and Johnny's in Topeka and Olathe.
2: Yeah, that's that's awesome with the whole week going on um, for everything. As far as the, the, the kids and the families, I think that's one of the best parts about this event, getting to know them, getting to know their story and how impactful this can all be for them. What can you tell us about the different families that are going to be receiving um, kind of the help from the Rock Truck Round Ball Classic Proceeds?
1: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So often when we do these, folks only want to hear about who the NBA guys coming back are, which is great, because that's obviously a ton of fun to talk about. But the real stars of the show, as you know, are the beneficiary kids. And we decided this year, instead of doing the typical round ball, starting five of five beneficiaries to do three, because we were going to have one fewer event. And we figured there would be you know less tickets sold just out of health and safety protocol. So we picked three kiddos. One's name is... Briella, and she's from Topeka. She's 18 months old. Uh, another is Riley. She's from Williamsburg, Kansas. She's eight years old. And then Matthew is from just outside of the Kansas City area. Uh, he's eight years old as well. And you've heard his story over the years. Uh, he was a beneficiary five years ago, and bless his heart. Since then, he has relapsed three more times. And, uh, family obviously is doing all they can to make ends meet in the midst of that. And so we have a policy now 13 years deep in our organization that, you know, if you haven't been a beneficiary for five years and the cancer still won't go away, we'll consider you again. And, and sure enough, he wound up being a great fit this year. So we're hopeful that, uh, this is the time he beats it for good. But that young man has known nothing but chemotherapy and, and, you know, being hooked up and poked and prodded with everything for the last, six, seven years of his life, and and yet, uh, you know, what a courageous young fighter he is, as is Riley and Briella, too, who have obviously been up against a lot in their short lives. But three wonderful families, three very deserving folks, and uh, we're excited to hopefully raise some life-changing, major impacting dollars over the course of the next week for them.
2: So as far as the players, and we're talking to Brian Haney here, voice of the Jayhawks, the Morris twins, are they required to be on the same team here, or can you split them up? We have
1: split them up and, okay. and they didn't give me any stipulation on that. They did tell me they wanted to wear their NBA Jersey numbers. Uh, Cause they kind of got their own thing going there with eight and 88 now. And we always typically have given guys uh, their Kansas Jersey number because it's kind of a nostalgic throwback to their days as Jayhawks. So that'll be an interesting twist. That was the only request they made. And so I, And and my uh, partner that that I work on the roster uh, assembly with each year, his name's Michael Mead. He does all of our graphics. And so when you see the posters, the tickets, or the social media posts, that's the great talent of Michael Mead. And he's such a fan that each year he and I like to to draft these teams. And we decided just for the sake of competitive balance, you know, we got to put one on each team because if you're trying to put a... A-plus guard versus an A-plus guard or an A-plus forward versus an A-plus forward and balance it out. You can't get more balance than guys that share the same DNA in the <laughs> womb, so uh, we felt like that was a good way of keeping the roster's even. so we'll have one on one side and one on the other, and hopefully uh, as we've, we've done more years than not in 13 years of doing this, it usually is so balanced that it comes down to a last shot. We had one year where it stretched out to nine or ten points in the end, but I'm hoping with Derek Johnson on the play-by-play, on Thursday night, you get a chance to call a game winner because it truly is that close, and we did a good job of of mixing and and matching these rosters competitively.
2: As far as, I mean, NBA draft was last night, so if you had to uh, throw in the discussion of the guys who would be up for the number 1 pick, so to speak, what would be uh, the guys that you would kind of list off there?
1: Well... It's interesting, and this is giving you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain on some of the stuff we deal with with this game, but we, we've got one guy that's a big-time name that is, is absolutely going to be there and engage with the crowd and do a halftime three-point shooting display, but we won't know until Monday whether or not he has the green light to play in the game because he's got some ongoing uh, contract negotiations and that kind of thing. and He wants to play it safe, and so that, that does make it tougher to uh, to stack the deck evenly if you don't know for sure if he's going to play in the game or if he's just going to play at halftime with this special three point contest. Either way, for fans buying a $10 ticket, you're going to get to see this guy and he's going to be fun to have back. And he's going to do stuff on the floor. It's just a matter of will he do stuff in traffic running to the hole, that kind of thing. Cause he's got a contract to figure out. But um We'll, we'll give some more light on that next week once we know, yay or nay, what it's going to look like. But we're excited about having guys like Devontae and C Ben McLemore, the Morris twins, Greg Ostertag for the first time ever, Cole Aldrich. You know, you got uh, other former Jayhawk stars that I think have a ton of talent still in their 30s like Tyshawn Taylor and Russell Robinson, Elijah Johnson, Travis Relaford. The list goes on and on. I, I think anytime you, you have a draft like this, um, somebody like Devontae Graham is probably going to go number one because in this game, it's all about jacking threes, fast breaks, that kind of thing. There's a lot of dunking too. And sometimes guys like Mario Little, who scored 35 points in this game in the past, a lot on breakaway dunks they end up being your most productive players. But I think because Devontae is that rising NBA star with the golden stroke and he's coming off of winning the round ball classic shooting for the stars three point contest a year ago. He's a guy that probably, you know, gets the most consideration at number one. But he is a deadly shooter too. He could fill up the nets, uh, you know, pretty quickly and, and hit seven or eight threes and be the game's M V P. And then you have the Morris twins who First time ever playing in the game, flying in all this way from LA. You think they're just going to fly in and and, and not want to put on a show and make some headlines? To me, Marcus might be number one overall worthy uh, based on on his skill set, both inside and out. The fact that if he gets it on the block, even though he's going to have to go through a forty-eight-year-old Greg Oster tag and go through Cole Aldrich and all that, uh, he's Probably in a little bit better shape, although Cole is biking now. He's he's a cyclist. And Greg, by the way, tells me he still plays rec league hockey. Yes, you heard me correctly. <laughs> seven feet two inches tall, <laughs> at about three more inches on the skates, at seven five, wanting to body check you into the boards playing ice hockey at forty eight years of age. You know, they say the bigger you are, the harder you fall and I just can't imagine watching him fall on the ice. I mean, that's like timber, here comes a tree getting chopped <laughs> down, but but that's how he stays in shape at 48, so he's going to play, but my point is, I mean, Marcus just got done in the playoffs, he's a well-conditioned athlete, somewhat in his prime, and, and uh, I think he could be a number one contender. And then, of course, Ben McLemore has been one of our, our best supporters in this game for so many years, and is a fill-it-up score from three, but also on the breakaway, have a lot of rim finishes. He's had some of the most exciting dunks in round ball history. Does he go number one? I, th- I think there's a lot of consideration there. But one thing's for sure, much like Orlando last night when Jalen Suggs lifted them at number five and they got a guy worthy of the number one pick at the five spot or certainly worthy of a top three pick at the five spot. Uh, we feel like round ball runs 10 or 12 deep on guys that are top three pick worthy. And there'll be, there'll be value all throughout the lottery when these teams are officially uh, announced to the public here. And we're doing it one by one, obviously, as you know, that's always our tradition at rock shock, round and on social media. But we've covered some of the big ones here today. I, I've not talked about any of the football guys. Todd Riesing's coming back. Nobody knows that yet. Uh, we're also going to have Derek fine playing for the first time ever. Brandon McAnderson will be there playing. And then Daryl Stuckey's either going to play or he's going to coach. We're not sure just yet at the time of today's conversation. But uh, that's a pretty good group. And at one time, it looked like Desmond Briscoe was going to come, too. He now can't. But when that was in the works, I was talking to Todd about running a baseline out-of-bounds play where he had – fine run a little curl out but sends briscoe deep and we send stucky back as as a free safety and coverage and then maybe b mac even though he's a fullback he can't exactly sack the inbounds passer but you know send him running at todd and and imagine drawing up that play call (laughs) and recreating some orange bowl magic with those five guys it'll just be four now but to have four football representatives to have three women's basketball representatives like Natalie Knight Johnson Carolyn Davis who you've seen many years but for the first time ever a former WNBA lottery pick Danielle McCray coming back I think that's a really big deal and we'll have Brandon Schneider and Terry Nuno from the women's basketball coaching staff there as well And so I really feel like we did a great job with the rosters this year in representing all eras, uh, you know, all forms of, of, you know, the big couple of Kansas sports, football and basketball, men's and women's. And uh, I think fans are really going to be delighted when they see these final rosters. There will be fluctuation between now and then, but uh, I I feel rock solid about what we have and and feel like, especially in a pandemic year where not everybody was able to travel and the dates were a little bit tougher this year with other people's schedules with the big three and summer league and all that. Uh, we feel like we we did about as good as you possibly could do. And I think for, again, $10, you will not find a better deal in all of sports. So get your tickets while you still can, 23rd Street Brewery, and also if you're going in Topeka, Olathe, Johnny's Tavern in those cities.
2: He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You'll be able to see him around next week at the Rock Chalk Roundball Classic. Brian, thank you so much for the time, as always.
1: Hey, always a pleasure, buddy. Thanks for all you do to support this event. Can't wait to hear your play-by-play call next week. And going to do some live shows to promote what we got going on, including Jefferson's on Wednesday, both downtown and Jefferson West. Usually it's just the West location. Now it's both. They're going to give us 25% of everything sold on next Wednesday. That's August the 4th. I mean, we could raise – $8,000, $10,000, $12,000, Eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars 12000 depending on how hungry Laurentians are and how much they love their wings. So a huge thank you to Andrea and Brandon Graham for making that possible. And we're going to have a live Rock Chalk Sports Talk uh, to promote that next week as well. So really cool stuff. And that, you know, isn't one of our event days necessarily but it gives you another thing to put on the calendar now Wednesday through Saturday involving all these great Jayhawks coming back to town
2: yep absolutely and come on out say hi we might have some t-shirts to give away as well uh for your trouble of coming out so definitely come out next Wednesday at Jefferson's and all the great events Brian thanks again thanks Derek see you buddy All right, that's Voice of the Jayhawks' Brian Haney joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, talking about the Round Ball Classic. Again, we're going to be out there next Wednesday. We will be out at Jefferson's West. The 25% of the proceeds going to the cause will be at both Jefferson's, but us specifically for the show with players coming out and such. I'm sure some will be going to the downtown, but uh, for the show itself, we'll be out at Jefferson's West. Again, Wednesday from 3 to 6. Then Thursday, we'll be out at Free State High School before the game. We'll air the game right here on KLWN at 7 o'clock. You can still get tickets for it at the 23rd Street Brewery. And then on Friday, we'll be out at Wayne and Larry's for the Rock Chuck Round Bowl Classic edition of things. But that's going to do it for today's show. We're out a little bit early today, 5.30 for coverage of the Royals game. No more Jorge Soler got traded away to the Braves. No more Danny Duffy traded away to the Dodgers. Whit Merrifield, Scott Barlow still there. See if they can make an impact tonight. The Rose won eight of their last 10 games. See if they can keep it going. I'm Derek Johnson. de Buttar was in with us today along with all our guests, Brandon McAnderson, Brian Haney, Robert Allen. Thank you to all of them. Talk to you guys on Monday.